weeks, but we will be in Romans chapter number 12 to start off with, and we will start a series on spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts. So I'll step down, and then we'll look at Romans chapter number 12. All right, I know that spiritual gifts is a a topic that continues to be uh, debated. There's a lot of uh, wrong information that's out there. I truly want us to look at what the Bible says and to instruct us from the Word of God and apply biblical principles and uh, give us a good understanding of what spiritual gifts are, what their purpose is, and how they should function today. And so I'm going to try to get connected here, and then we will go to Romans chapter number 12. Of course, we know verses 1 and 2, so we are familiar with the fact that uh, this chapter begins with presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto the Lord, which is our reasonable service. That's verse 1. And we're not to be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Okay, so we've got to keep things in context. And then we come down, verse number 3. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to what? Think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So we've got to keep that in mind as we are entering into this passage, as we're entering into this series on spiritual gifts. He continues down. But to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Okay, now you know I'm a baseball fan, and so I have to use a ba- I don't have to, but I, I have to use a baseball illustration. Okay, uh, I enjoy. I, there's there 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 are different sports. I'm not a sports fan, but I, I just really enjoy baseball. And one of the things I really like about baseball is you you get down to the end of the game and you can't just throw the ball to LeBron James and play five on one or one on five. And every time down the court, you can't just run a play for LeBron James. And you can't just throw the ball to LeBron James and set a pick and let LeBron James attack the basket. And you can't just throw the ball to LeBron James and let him shoot from three. You get the point, right? (laughs) Okay. You can't just turn the game over to one person every time down the floor and try to let that person dominate. Not that basketball is a good game, too. It's just not as good as baseball. (laughs) Anyway, anyway, (laughs) I'm partial. My point is this, every sports team has to have a team. You can take some of the best players in the game, and sometimes just by sheer raw talent, they can win championships. But many times we see the teams with the biggest payrolls and the most talent not winning championships. And I laugh because I do not like the Dodgers, and so I tease friends of mine. Uh, I say that loosely, friends who are Dodgers fans. No, just joking, just joking, just joking. But I tease Dodgers fans that the only time you can win a World Series since 1988 was during a pandemic-shortened season. But anyway, 
I tease them. But the Dodgers, I, I have to pick on the Yankees a little bit. They're struggling this year. But we can talk about any kind of sports team. What, what does it come down to many times? It comes down to something we call team chemistry. Every person playing their, their role, playing their part. We can talk about the, the Danny Ainges of the 80s and the John Paxons, and we can talk about some of these different role players, and they basically came in, they had one job to do, and that was to get open for a three, um, whatever the case may be. But in the game of baseball, one of the things that happens is you just have to go to the next man in the lineup. It can be the bottom of the eighth, the bottom of the ninth, and you can't just put your favorite superstar up to bat. You have to go to spot six, spot eight, spot one, wherever we're at in the lineup. That's where you go. And you can't just say, okay, well, I'm going to pick my best superstars, and I'm going to be the next three batters for the final inning. You have to go with who is in the lineup. And I was watching the College World Series. I really enjoy watching the College World Series uh, back in June. And there was a player for the Florida Gators who was, I think, I think he was a freshman. And he, he got called to pinch hit in the bottom of the eighth inning. And so he comes up to bat. I don't know how he, I don't know how he, he did at the plate. But now as, now as the uh, player in the game, he was put out in center field. Top of the ninth. One run game, I forget how many runners were on. I don't even remember who the team was they were playing. It was like TCU or something. And the, the batter, top of the ninth now, two outs, hits a absolute screamer to the gap between right and center. And that center fielder was running with all of his might going backward. Now, I don't know if any of you would try to catch a, a fly ball. You don't realize how tough it is until you get out there and you actually see one come off the bat and you are the one who has to catch it. You don't realize how hard that is. Um, but anyway, he just came in the game, the bottom of the eighth, and now he's the center fielder and he's going after this ball in center field. And he puts everything into it and he reaches up just at the last second, crashes into the wall and makes the catch and Florida goes on to the championship game. Here this kid is, I think he was a freshman, maybe a sophomore. He, gets, he sits on the bench for seven innings. Bottom of the eighth, he gets put in, and then he makes the game-saving catch in the top of the ninth. I say all that, not just, I, not just because I like baseball, but, but because there's a role player. There's somebody who, who came in in a pressure situation after sitting on the bench. Who knows how much playing time he gets. He was basically a nobody and he makes a game-saving catch. He's the hero, so to speak, but it was his role as the center fielder to be ready, to be prepared, and when that ball came off the bat, he made the, the play of his life and won the game for the team. How many times do we have to understand our role, our gifts, our abilities, and know where and when in God's will he wants us to use those for his glory, for the edification of others, and for the furtherance of God's kingdom. We talk about the parable of talents, the five and the two and the one, and we can use that as an illustration. But notice again in Romans 12 that there is grace given to each member of God's family. Those who are born again, each true member 
of God's family, of the church of God, has a role in the church, has been gifted, and has been called to minister that gift, to minister by God's grace with that gift for the church, for the edification of the church, for the furtherance of God's kingdom. And it has to be done, verse number three, with humility. We're not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Okay, now before we get into before we get into the other passages regarding spiritual gifts, or before we get into the lists from the other passages, let's go to 1 Corinthians 12. So we're going to remember Romans 12, and then we're going to remember 1 Corinthians 12. Another list of the gifts. Now, we don't have time to read through the entire chapter, but 1 Corinthians 12... We're coming down in the verses. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren. That's verse 1. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to be knowledgeable of this. Now, we're going to pause there for a moment. According to a Barna survey, 63% of identifying Christians have no clue what their spiritual gift is. 63, that's almost two-thirds of those who claim to be followers of Christ have no clue what their spiritual gift is, much less are using their spiritual gifts. I don't believe this is true about Berean, but I've been told, and most often this is the case, 10% of the church does 90% of the work of the ministry. I don't think that's true here at Berean. But that is the tendency, and we have to work on that. We have to uh, be uh, including others, and we have to be uh, training others, and we have to be getting others involved. And then sometimes it's people who they always like to sit back and watch everybody else do the work who need to get involved, who need to start serving, right? And uh, sometimes that's laziness, sometimes that's busyness, sometimes it's just priorities. Sometimes it's, well, I don't think I can do that. I don't know if I can do that. Sometimes we step out and we serve and we try, and then we find out that God has implanted in us a burden and a desire, and thankfully we stepped into that place of service, and now God all along was wanting us to be involved there, and then he, by his grace... He empowers us for that. Now, I've been, in, I've been in, in ministries. I've stepped into places of ministry where I realized this is, not, this is not the right place for me. I fulfilled my time there. I remember uh, working at a rescue mission for about six weeks. And uh, I, I knew the, uh, the, the leader, the director. And uh, he, he brought me in. And I worked there for six weeks. And I learned a lot. But I learned after six weeks it was not, not the place that God had called me to in, in the ministry. And I'm thankful for those six weeks there. But I had a good talk with the director after about six weeks. And he said, I'm, I appreciate you trying. I realize this is not, <laughs> not your, your place, at least not this time in your life. Uh, thankful for the opportunities I had to preach and, and stuff there. But the other administrative side of that, it just, it just wasn't for me. We get into places like that, but sometimes it's just our unwillingness our fear, our lack of knowledge. And here's Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 saying, 
I don't want you to be ignorant. You need to know these things. And he goes on. Verse 2, you know that you were Gentiles, carried away into these dumb idols, even as you were led, used to serve the false gods. Verse 3, wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord by the Holy Ghost. So you have the Holy Spirit. You're not opposed to Jesus Christ. Verse 4, now there are diversities of gifts but the same spirit. And then he continues, really for the rest of the chapter. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it's the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the spirit is given, what? Why? Verse 7, to every man to profit with all. And then we start seeing the list. Okay. Now there's two other passages that are, primary passages. We'll get to those as well. We'll come back to Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. But I want us to see, first of all here in this series as we begin, what is a spiritual gift? Clearly they are mentioned. Clearly there's a purpose. Clearly there's a way in which we are to minister those gifts. I emphasize this aspect of one another and playing our role and being members one of another in humility because that is really the foundation that we have to set when it comes to spiritual gifts and the exercise of them. But what is a spiritual gift? Somebody want to take a guess? Want to venture? Maybe you have had some training on this in the past and you can give a strong definition. Maybe you have no clue. Anybody want to Take a stab at it. Brian. Good, good, very good. All right. Anybody else? That's what you were going to say? Okay. <laughs> you, just, you just texted him that, right? <laughs> you were afraid to speak up, so you texted it to him. <laughs> Ray? Several part, oh good, okay, and then we'll get into the uh, members and the members of the body. Yes, Earl? Good, very good. Yeah, and we'll touch on that. It's a Holy Spirit gifted, God gifted uh, ability. Anybody else? Okay, so we have to go to the terminology and understand the biblical terminology. Again, this is a transliteration of the original uh, language from 1 Corinthians 12 and verse number 1, where we see the word or the phrase spiritual gifts. Now, you'll notice in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 12 that the word gifts is in italicized print. That was added by the King James translators for clarification to understand and to help us uh, know what was being referred to. Because in the original language, that two-word phrase is one Greek word, and it means pertaining to the spirit, spiritual qualities, characteristics, and or abilities. So gifts, again, the translators were adding that word in there for clarification because essentially that is what is being expressed. There is a spiritual quality, there is a characteristic and or ability that is gifted by the spirit. 
So concerning spiritual gifts, pneumaticos. And this is a, I couldn't find a better definition. So I, I thought I'd just go ahead and put this up there for us and read through it. Divine enablements, divine enablements for ministry that the Holy Spirit gives in some measure to all believers and that are to be completely under his control and used for the building of the church to God's glory. I, I couldn't find anything better than that when I was uh, studying. And uh, Brian really touched on a lot of that and the other things that were said go along with this as well. These are divine enablements. So they are abilities that are given to us by God. The Holy Spirit obviously gives, uh, being the third person of the Trinity, all believers. So every believer has a gift. Now it may take a while, it may take some knowledge, it may take some experience, it may take some training, some counsel for us to fully understand and realize the expression of our gifts. But all believers have at least one gift. Okay? They are under his control, so we're to submit them to the Lord. They are his in the first place. He's gifted them, and so we are to use them not for selfish gain, but to submit them to the Lord. They are his anyway, and we're to exercise them under his control and for the building of the church and ultimately for God's glory. We have to keep all that in mind as we continue here. And then a second term is the term charisma from Romans 12 and verse number 6. We were there earlier. And again, it's the idea of a gift, a gift of the Spirit, and it's by God's grace. Anybody met somebody by the name of Charis? Uh, we had a Charis in our school. You, you know somebody named Charis? This is where they probably get that name from because you see CH is the way it's transliterated, but K would be the, k, the phonic sound in the, in the English language, charis, and referring to gift or gift of grace. And so that's where some people probably get that name from. So that's two terms about what a spiritual gift is. Any questions or comments so far? Nat. Yeah, according to that Barna study. Yeah, I, I just wonder if sometimes we see in other people that they are gifted in areas when those people think, you know, I'm just trying to save lives and doing what I can. Yes, and, yes. Mm -hmm. You know, in mm -hmm. humility, they're serving. Yes. Not really thinking, you know, oh, I'm really gifted in this area. Yes. They're doing some humility. And right, know, right. In, in that... that There's a percentage of that that they're already serving and they're active and using it. They just don't realize it and they're humble enough to not be trying to show off about it. Yeah, that's a good point. Great point. There are people who may already be exercising their gift and they just haven't, in a sense, identified it, nor are they trying to advertise it. And they're just humbly serving and other people see that. And that's part of what happens, too, if I can 
take a little detour and talk about that. Sometimes other people recognize that gift and help us in understanding and using that gift. I mean, I see that in my own life, and we even see that in the laying on of the hands of the presbytery when it comes to the gift of preaching, the call uh, to the ministry, and the importance of godly men being able to identify in a man that call and helping him understand and see that and the laying on of the hands of the presbytery is how Paul uses that in reference to Timothy okay but there's other cases where yeah we see that and then I know as a pastor uh, and being in the ministry there are times where I see certain things in people and I go to them because I want them to at least try this seems to be an area where God may be using or wants to use you and uh, you have ability there and maybe God wants to develop that um, Hank yes Okay, that's a great question. And I think it's um, mostly the result of at salvation, as we are given the Holy Spirit, that gift is given to us. But I must say that God will often use already given abilities and enhance those. Someone may be a, a teacher. They may have the gift and the ability, I should say, to teach, to preach, but they haven't identified that or it hasn't been used in that way in ministry in a call to preach until they get saved and then that, what is already a natural giftedness, God then enhances and then develops in service and ministry. Does that make sense? That's a very good, good question or a good point. There are times where it's just already a natural ability, but ultimately the giftedness comes at salvation. Any other comments or questions? Okay. So we've touched on this a little bit already, but I want to take some time to work through this. When are, and this is something that we just uh, touched on, uh, and Hank kind of gave us a, a segue into this. When are they received? Ultimately at salvation. Though there may be some natural abilities, though there may already be some uh, talent or ability that God has already blessed a person with, when they get saved, that's the spiritual giftedness because the Holy Spirit now has come and indwelled that individual and now they are gifted with that for the ministry, for the building up of God's people. So we see four main passages. And if it helps you to remember, two twelves and two fours. You have Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, and then Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4. Now, are there other places where gifts are, are alluded to or referenced? Sure. Ephesians 2 and verse number 20. Ephesians 2 and verse number 20. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So two gifts, two gifted men, or offices I should say, apostles and prophets. I think it's 1 Corinthians 7, maybe, in verse number 7. For I would that all men were even as myself, but every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. So are there other passages that reference giftedness? Sure. But these are the four main passages. And we even see lists in these passages, which we'll get to, and we'll talk about them in detail. But there are four 
main passages. And so we will move on to the purpose of spiritual gifts. Touched on this a little bit already as well. But we have to remember that spiritual gifts are primarily for these four purposes. Service, edification, ministry, and evangelism. Okay? Now, are all the gifts... I want to say it the right way. Are all the gifts exercised in all four of these ways in every place at every time they're exercised? No. But they're all going to be for these purposes, whether it be a majority in one area or less in another. But it's service, it's edification, it's ministry, it's evangelism. And, and can, I, can I, again, make this note that it's not about performance. It's not about likes and follows and subscribers. It's not about me and national fame and fortune and royalty and all the other terms and adjectives. We live in a celebrity culture. We live in a superstar culture. We live in a culture that is, if I go to Starbucks, I have to take a picture of it and put it on Instagram. I mean, we just do. We live in a culture where if I stub my big toe in the middle of the night, I take a picture of it, and I don't care if it's 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm putting it on Facebook. Because I want everybody to feel sorry for me that I stubbed my toe in the middle of the night. And I can write a story about how my kid left the toy on the floor. You know, you know what I'm saying. We live in that kind of a culture. You know how some people are. Everything that they do in their life is put on social media. And some, some of us know people, and I'm not here to be a big condemning critic of social media. I just think it is a tool that gets overused. <laughs> And, it's, and I think it's, it's, it, it's not doing a lot of good. It's doing some good. I'm not saying just throw it out completely. It does some good. There's some benefit. But I think that social media is turning into more and more of a monster. Uh, now we, now isn't it just wonderful that we have news this week that now Zuckerberg has come up with a competitor to Twitter. I'm just so excited that now we have threads. So now we get to see the social media war again and the battle over free speech and, oh my goodness. And we already have, what, Snapchat and TikTok and Facebook and Instagram and Be Real and I'm, I'm probably forgetting about 20 others. It's hard to keep up. I mean, I, I have four email accounts and I'm trying to bounce back and forth from for different things. And uh, there's a purpose and there's a tool and there's an effectiveness, but we live in a culture that everything is about me and how I can get my name out there and be recognized. I, again, I watch little kids, watch teenagers, even seen adults who are just starved for attention all the time. They just have to constantly want somebody's affirmation and attention. They just live for it. There are superstars. There are celeb. There are royalty. <laughs> there are. People who have said they don't want to be part of the royal family anymore. (laughs) 
And they're just starved for attention. Every time there's something about the royal family, they have to get their name in the headlines. You know, and usually it's something ridiculous. But we live in such a culture of me, me, me. Look at me. And we have to fight that because that's the natural default mode. What do we do with our kids when they're born? Yeah, we feed them, we change them. But aren't we, a lot of times, it seems like 90% of the time as they're growing up, what are we doing? We're teaching them to think of others. Even as a baby who's been diapered and fed, even a baby will sometimes scream and cry just for attention. Now, there has to be affection. There has to be babies who aren't held, who don't see their mom and dad's face. They have uh, certain development traits that, that are lacking. This is the case where we've seen orphans coming from other countries where, I think China, some of these other countries where they have had orphans. Mom and dad have abandoned the kids, especially when China had the one-child policy. There were kids who were growing up in orphanages, and there would be like one adult for, I forget how many babies. And those kids were growing up not understanding affection. We had a girl in our school who had grown up for, I think, 10 years in one of those orphanages. She came to our school, and she knew nothing about affection. She knew nothing. She didn't understand hugs. She didn't understand expressions on people's faces a lot of times. It was a real challenge. Um, and I think she had a little bit of an overbearing parent that didn't help. But uh, the, the point is that there, there has to be that affection, obviously. But we live in a culture that just seems to be on steroids. Well, yeah, <laughs> in cases there are, there are people on opioids and steroids, sadly. But it's like our culture is on steroids when it comes to attention and seeking attention by all means necessary. Um, that's the complete opposite of what we see when it comes to spiritual giftedness. It's not about me. It's not about having this show. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 14, what does Paul do? And we'll get to this. What does Paul say to the Corinthian church? You desire all the showy gifts. Your tongue speaking is all about trying to get fame and name and claim and all that. And he rebukes them. And he is not saying desire the showy gifts. He's saying exercise your giftedness according to the gift of God, the grace of God for service, for ministry, for edification, for evangelism. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, you are so abusing the gift of tongues that you are repelling the unsaved who the gift of tongues is supposed to be a sign for. And they're walking into your assembly, your church, and you're a bunch of barbarian-sounding people, and you're pushing the unsaved away. He rebukes them for that. So we have to be very careful of this and understanding the purpose of spiritual gifts. Again, we see the, these aren't the only places, but we see it very clearly. In Romans 12, members one of another. 1 Corinthians 12, same spirit for the profit of all. Ephesians 4, 12, equipping, edifying, unity. 1 Peter 4 and verse 10, minister it to one another. Any questions, comments so far? Yes, Earl. You're talking about what type of gift it is or the, or the gifting. And you said for the longest time, I 
Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And we even could go back to like the Tower of Babel and we see that same motivation, attitude. We will make a name for ourselves. We will ascend up into heaven. Um, that, that spirit is in the world today. And then, of course, the Antichrist, he'll, he'll exploit that. Any, uh, any other comments or questions? Okay. So what I'm going to do, we don't have a lot of time today. We'll just get started on this. What I'd like to do is take some time and talk about the temporary gifts before we get into the, what we can call the permanent gifts. And I know that's going to take us a few weeks probably to work through the temporary gifts because we'll deal with tongues. And I want to deal with that, and I want to deal with that biblically, and I've got several uh, points that I want to make regarding, regarding tongues. I know it's a very misunderstood. It can be very controversial. It's debated. I know good people who believe they are practicing the biblical gift of tongues. And do I believe that they're genuinely saved people? In, in the case of at least one of them, yes. I believe they, they are a genuinely saved individual. Okay, But I do believe that tongues is a temporary gift. It was a signed gift. It was temporary. But we'll talk about that one later. First of all, let's work through the temporary gifts by looking at four others, and then we'll get, get to tongues. First of all, apostle. I know that there are churches out there, and it's the apostle, <laughs> and then it'll be the title of the, it'll be the name of the pastor. And usually, she is also pastor. So it's the apostle, and then she's reverend pastor. Often the case. Billboards, I've seen them, and it'll be apostle so-and-so, maybe an advertisement for a church on the internet, and it'll be apostle so-and-so. Okay. What is the general definition for the word apostle? Anybody know? Sent one. So in a very little a general sense, are we all apostles? In the sense that we are sent, we, have, we are given the great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Okay? But we're talking about the gift given to a man as an apostle of Jesus Christ. He is a gifted man. Okay? So we look at the, the gift of the apostle and we see certain characteristics. Acts chapter 1 helps us with this, but there are a couple of other places we can look as well. But the apostle was one who witnessed the resurrected Christ. He was a witness to the resurrected Christ. So how many people are living today, how many people, or those who claim to be apostles today, actually witnessed the resurrected Christ? They saw him physically with their eyes. Zero. None. Okay? Secondly, Personally chosen by Christ. In other words, there was the audible choosing, Matthias being the one exception, but that was by a convention of apostles, and there's some debate as to whether Matthias is to be literally included. I don't want to get into all that. But how many of these so-called living apostles today were personally chosen by, 
by Christ himself calling them in an audible sense. How many of them? Zero. So they're 0 for 2, right? Okay. And then we see sanctioned by the miraculous. There were apostolic gifts, signs and wonders. Now this is what they claim many times. Oh, they, you know, they may not have witnessed the resurrected Christ. If so, they'll say they had a vision. Personally chosen by Christ, oh, they'll just make that, well, yeah, I, the, the Spirit led me. Something along that line. So they'll, they'll, they'll give claim to one and two, but then they'll claim to have some sort of miracle working power, oftentimes. They'll claim to have the ability to call down signs and wonders, to perform signs and wonders. Well, I think that they're 0 for 3. The gift of the apostle has been completed. It was temporary. When John died, probably around 80, 90, 95, that was the last living apostle. And there are no more apostles. Ephesians 2 and verse 20. We, we were there. I think I quoted or referenced it. Ephesians 2 and verse 20. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. How many times do you build a foundation? Once. Now, I know sometimes there are cracks in the foundation. There's something wrong. But you don't build a second foundation unless something is wrong with the first. Well, did God mess up on the foundation of the church? Of course not. Okay, so one foundation... Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So we are, we are not still building the foundation of the church, are we? I know we have to get back a lot of times to the fundamentals, to the foundational doctrines. I know we, we, but the foundation of the church is the apostles, the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. That speaks to the temporariness of the gift of the apostle. Their purpose, their fulfillment in the will of God, it's been fulfilled. Okay, let's continue here. So, no longer any living people. I need to go back in my notes again. I, I jump, I'm jumping and skipping here. So, there are no longer any living apostles. The gift of miracles in the sense of a person who indiscriminately performs miracles. We'll talk about the gift of miracles. I do believe that God is still performing miracles. God is in the miracle-working business today. And some of you can give testimony to that, and I think we all can. Um, but there's not men or women indiscriminately performing miracles today. Okay? So the signs and wonders of the apostles included raising the dead and various other healings and particular signs that were clearly miraculous works that God had gifted those men to orchestrate. There are not men and women who have that ability today. God is still in the miracle working business, but he's not using men and women in that capacity. We're thankful for great doctors. We're thankful for some gifted people in science and medicine and other areas. We're thankful for people who are miracle workers in our life in the sense that they came into our life they through medicine through science through service of some kind they have done something to provide a miraculous type of help are there people like that sure we we have those kinds of people god brought into our life 
through an illness or through a time of need, and they have been a great, they've been used of God in a great service. But that person, that great surgeon who performed that incredible surgery, did not stand there and wave his hand over the table and bang you in the head and knock you over on a platform and you walked out from your, can I pick on Carolyn back there? I'm not, I'm not trying to embarrass you. But did you walk out from your gallbladder? Was it gallbladder surgery? Did, you, did the surgeon just whack you in the head and you walked out of there healed? You had to go through surgery and through several weeks of recovery. I wish that the surgeon on my knee when I tore my ACL, I wish that they, I wish I had walked into the hospital that night and said, and he had just waved his hand and my knee would have been healed. That's not happening. These faith healers are not walking through Riley Hospital where babies and young children are dying of deadly diseases. They're not walking through there and indiscriminately healing them. Again, God does miracles, but he's not giving indiscriminate healing power and miracle-working power to individuals, though God uses individuals in great ways with intelligence, ability, discovery, science, whatever it might be. And we're thankful for those people. Questions or comments? No? Okay, all right. So that would eliminate apostles from being an active, functioning gift today. And then we'll have to just touch on this, and then we'll move on to another temporary gift. This one um, has to do with the predictive ability. Now, a prophet would many times just be a preacher who would declare already revealed truth. But there are no prophets today functioning in the role of receiving new divine revelation. We have the 66 books of the Bible. We have Genesis to Revelation. We talked about this when we were going through our series on confidence in the Bible and our series on inspiration, revelation, and and all of that. So when we talk about a prophet, they are qualified in the sense that they receive divine truth. Many times would include predictions about future persons or events. And what was their percentage supposed to be for them to be a genuine, a, a genuine prophet? What percentage of their prophecies had to be true? I thought it was 50%. <laughs> oh, that, well, there's, there's got to be some prophetic climate changers or climate change prophets, right? They've been right 100% of the time. <laughs> right, they had to be 100%. And what did God say if they were wrong one time? They were to be stoned. They were to be executed. That's some pretty serious stuff there. So God says, if I haven't revealed it to you, then don't be making those predictions. Because if you're wrong, you're dead. Pretty serious consequences. God takes his word and his revelation, his inspiration very seriously, doesn't he? Okay, don't misrepresent uh, the words of God. So we... Don't have people receiving divine truth. It's very dangerous when people begin to claim that they are receivers of new revelation. But there are prophets in the sense of preaching already revealed truth. Okay, so I will sometimes refer to myself as having the gift of prophecy only in the sense that I am a preacher called to declare the the truth of, of God. 
And there are even non-pastors, non-preachers who can have a, and I'll say it in a very qualified way, can have a measure of the gift of prophecy in the sense that they are very black and white, very right and wrong. (laughs) I mean, everything is yay, nay. I mean, you know people like that. I'm like that. God's had to really work on me because I can get very carried away with that. Just ask my kids, ask my wife, and uh, other people that know me. And I'm thankful for that. That's a great thing in that there is a thou shalt not or thou shalt. At the same time, I have to be careful that I don't, in my thou shalt and thou shalt not, that I don't take that truth on the end of a pitchfork and shove it down somebody's throat. Because that's the tendency of the prophet to go too far in their lack of tact. Okay, So that's a constant uh, area of work. But again, the gift of the prophet, those are the qualifications. Why no more prophets? God's word is complete. We touched on that. No man is predicting future events with 100% accuracy today. Um, We often see selfishness, trying to get headlines, sales, tickets, viewers, whatever, and then their prophecies don't come true. Jesus Christ was going to come in 1988, something like that. There was some, when I was growing up, uh, something about 1988, and then there's been different predictions through the years. Never, none of them have, have come true. And of course, you can get into climate change, which is a bunch of nonsense. But the evangelist and the pastor teacher fulfill the role of preaching, of declaring revealed truth today. All right, we're uh, out of time. Earl. Yes, correct, correct, yes, I did not touch on that, but you're right. There would be that time in Revelation 11, the two prophets, and they are given the ability to work signs and wonders, yes. So there is a temporary re-manifestation of that gift with those two prophets until they are slain. And some people say they are Elijah and Enoch because Enoch and Elijah never died, and then they come back as the false prophet, false prophet, as the two prophets, (laughs) not the false prophet, not the false prophet, (laughs) sorry, got my tongue tangled there. My thoughts confused. Um, <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yes, yeah. So the two prophets would be the remanifestation of that gift. Yes, star. Uh huh. I think that it's all um, it's all um, tricks. It's all deception. It's all it, it's like a it's like a fortune cookie in a sense. It's like a palm reader. Uh, uh, what am I? Soothsayer. I think it's all manipulation. What, what do we see in our, in our cult? Look at, the, look at the lies people are believing today. Look at the lies since the Supreme Court rulings. And people are buying into them. Look at the lies regarding unborn babies. Where literally they are in a class and they show the development of the baby. And then when they want to talk about abortion, they take those pictures of the developing baby away and they put a clump and say, this is what the baby looks like. When they're talking about abortion, they literally are switching out pictures. In their, they have a, there's an actual video of a classroom where they did that. Unbelievable. People, are, I think, are going to buy into that kind of deception. Yes, Hank? Good, good question, okay? Good question. I believe that it's a lot of deception and lies, smoke and mirrors. But I do believe that Satan has a certain level of demonic activity 
where there are spiritual powers that can overcome what would be considered natural order. Physics, thank you. So, notice that the magicians in, in Pharaoh's day, they couldn't reverse any of... They copied, and they only could do, what, the first two, if I remember right? And how hard would it be to add some more blood to the water? Um, things like that, you know, throw in some snakes among the sticks. I'm just saying, yes, there is a supernatural power in a demonic element, but I, I don't believe it's true, creative. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I, I guess there's some room for some measure of demonic power to be able to overcome natural order physics, yes. But they couldn't reverse, they couldn't do what God, only, only God can do. And I believe the keys of life and death are in the hands of God. Good questions. All right, we are out of time. Sorry about that. Thank you for the good questions. Let's pray, and then we'll get ready for the service. Lord, thank you for our time together. Thank you, Lord, for your word that helps us with these, these questions. Help us in understanding spiritual gifts and the right use of them. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, sorry about going over a little bit, but we'll get ready for the service.